Well, the Pac-12 tried to be innovative and forward-thinking with the Pac-12 network. Yeah, it kind of flopped. And now they have an opportunity to make the same mistake again. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. So if you remember back to 2011-12, whenever the Pac-12 Network launched, it was going to be a unique idea. It was going to be an idea that was different from what all the other conferences were doing. It was going to be forward thinking. The network was going to be owned by the Pac-12. They would make their money directly. They wouldn't have to go through somebody like ESPN or Fox who owned shares of the other conference networks. And they wouldn't have to do this revenue sharing and all that sort of stuff. They were trying to be ahead of the curve on that front. Now, They find themselves, the Pac-12 do, in a precarious situation here. We've long talked about here on the show about how Apple and or Amazon are expected to be involved in the Pac-12 media deal. That is a new concept because neither one is currently involved in broadcasting college athletics. So having a major streamer involved is something that the Pac-12 based on the reporting we've seen to this point, is going to be pursuing and is something that is going to be new in the college sports landscape from a broadcasting standpoint. Now, in 2011, when the Pac-12 network launched, or 2012, I forget which year it was, but when that network launched, it was seen as being ahead of the times in some way. And now the Pac-12 is in a situation where, where they're, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating predicament to be in because they're in kind of a similar spot where they're going to be making a decision based on what the details of this upcoming media rights deal that we'll hear about in six years for you know what it'll be, where you could look back and say that was a brilliant move and it was ahead of the times and forward thing, or it was a terrible move. And they should have done X, Y, and Z. And until we let things actually play out, I know this is very hard for people on the internet. Until things actually play out and we give this years to go back in time and actually assess, we can't really know for sure what's going to happen on that front. So my my thought here comes from a piece that I saw on uh, thestreet.com and there were quotes from some ESPN executives in there. And it's pretty short, so I wanted to read it here. It's by uh, a guy named uh, Colin Salau. He published it on uh, May 2nd, if you want to go check it out for uh, for yourself. He says, as streaming services have taken over the media landscape, live sports have kept traditional TV channels afloat, and ESPN's business continues to create most of its revenue on these channels. But time will tell when ESPN will move most of its material to direct-to-consumer service, and ESPN chairman Jimmy Pataro admitted such in an interview with Bloomberg. He said, quote, we're going to get to a point where we take our entire network, our flagship programming, and make it available 
direct to consumer, Pataro told Bloomberg. That's a when, not an if. We're only going to do it when it makes sense for our business and for our bottom line. Now is certainly not the time for ESPN to make the move, given it's generated $28 billion from TV viewership last year. But with ESPN's subscriber count down $25 million in the last decade and the company losing millions in the last year, the push for change is mounting. It's continuing to invest in uh, ESPN+, Plus, which had nearly 23 million subscribers as of Q3 2022. ESPN's biggest move in streaming could be with the NBA when it negotiates the next media rights deal of the league starting 2025. Pataro is, quote, confident that ESPN and the NBA will, again, quote, see eye to eye on where they can pursue streaming live games of the league, likely on the ESPN+. Plus platform. If ESPN does move to streaming, it would be a massive domino to fall for cable and traditional TV channels and could be the beginning of a definitive switch to streaming. So this puts the Pac-12 in the same kind of spot. And I don't think that they can fully anticipate what's going to happen and when. But you heard Pataro say in there, it's a when, not an if. They move their flagship programming, their biggest games, to ESPN Plus to stream and go direct to consumer and just bypass cable companies and that entire option. Now, when that is, I'm not sure if this factors into the Pac-12's calculations here, but many of you have expressed numerous concerns about the potentially streaming heavy deal that the Pac-12 could have. If this move, you know, they're still making a lot of money, as the article referenced, off of you know, cable TV and and live sports and whatnot. But if this move is going to happen within the next five to 10 years, I have to imagine that is part of the calculation for network executives and the Pac-12 as well as they try to figure out this deal. And the reason I compare it to the Pac-12 network back then is because there there's kind of a, a, a brief glimpse into the future for what it could look like and how you could foresee it playing out but you don't know for certain. That's how it was with the Pac-12 network. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I see how this could work. I see how this could be beneficial. But right now it feels like this. And then it ended up not working out, right? Because not being on direct TV was a really, really poor decision for, for the conference and the media rights and all that sort of stuff. And we've been over that, you know, ad nauseum here on the show. But now in a world where sports are the thing, that we all watch live on cable television right now, if it moves, you know, broadly speaking, into an even more streaming heavy world, then if the Pac-12 were to have a deal that's more streaming than the other conferences, there's a chance it could absolutely backfire 100%, where you could look at it and it's like, ah, no, sports are still really, really fun to watch and people like them and linear networks are still the primary way they get that. And if you had a deal that was 60 to 70% streaming, that would be not great for your biggest sporting events from a a TV numbers and and exposure standpoint. Although the TV numbers at that point would not be the concerns of the conference because they'd get paid regardless. Um, Because the, 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 you know, whichever streaming service or network it's, it's then the, you know, let's say it's Amazon, right? Or or, or Apple, let's just say it's Apple because they kind of seem the most, most likely right now. If Apple pays the Pac-12 for their media rights, it's then Apple's job, not the Pac-12's job, to get people to be able to watch their games and subscribe to their streaming service and whatnot. But I found this dichotomy fascinating of 
Streaming is really big right now, but could it be even bigger in the live sports space in, you know, seven to 10 years or something? If the Pac-12 signs a deal that, you know, or is it five years? Is it three years? Is it four years? Like Pataro saying it's when, not if they make it available on ESPN plus and they go with flagship programming over to over to ESPN plus, that would be a ground shaking move in, in the broadcast media industry. And then having a big streaming deal might not be so uh, so so risky, right? Or have such downsides uh, in terms of the concerns that some people have have expressed that I don't share entirely, but I do see uh, a partially where where people are coming from on that front. So I found that to be really really interesting. Thought that uh, that I would share the title of the article. By the way, is ESPN gets closer to a move that will kill cable. Cord cutting is a real thing. It's a very real thing, but but the one thing that's kind of keeping cable, you know, viable in some sense is live sports. College football, of course, falls into that particular category. But curious what you all think. Drop the YouTube comments below as always, or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. So a day that I've been waiting for for quite a while has finally arrived. And I just want to dip my toe into the water on that particular subject, but I don't dip my toe into the water on built bars. I'm all in on built bars because I've always got one in my golf bag in my pantry. They are healthy. They taste amazing. They're covering hundred percent real dark chocolate. I honestly don't know how built bar does this stuff. They taste so, so good, but they're good for you. You can't find many things like that in life. It's really hard to do. They've written entire cookbooks on how to do that, make healthy stuff taste good. But Built has done it, and they've got a bunch of yummy flavors. Churro, peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, cookies and cream, only 4 grams of sugar and 130 calories with a whopping 17 grams of protein. Got everything you need in a protein bar. You can get a four box of cookies and cream in the pharmacy section at Walmart. You can get a 13 bar box at Sam's Club. You can get specialty flavors at Built.com. Again, Walmart, Sam's Club, Built.com. Go get your next order of Built Bars today, and you can thank me later. All right. Let's reset and refocus. The day that I've been waiting for that has finally arrived. Pac-12 football over under win totals have been posted by our friends at FanDuel. I have so many thoughts. I mean, so many thoughts. We might talk about nothing else all next week except over under win totals for football because I can't get enough of this stuff. Great barometer for how Vegas feels teams are are looking going into next year, picking the, uh, the over and under totals and whatnot. I have a few thoughts here. We're not going to hit all the heavy hitters today. That would be like a two-hour show, all right? And that's not how we roll here at the Locked On Network. want to make things that fit into your commute. All you everydayers out there understand that. So I'm going to start with some uh, some sleeper bets that I like right now. I could change my mind later if more or new information comes in, if more transfers you know end up emerging, someone gets injured or all that sort of stuff, but Right now, here are the bets that stand out the most to me. Again, this is courtesy of our friends at FanDuel, proud sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. There are two in particular that I don't want any part of. I mean, I don't want, I, I would not put my money on either side. It is just, it would be too much of a sweat. It might be riveting, but it'd be too much of a sweat. Washington State 
six and a half. I'm terrified. My biggest fears in life go as follows. Snakes, needles, trying to bet Washington State six and a half over under win total. It's one, two, three. It's very simple. So not going to touch that one. I, I That is a perfect line for the Cougs. They were seven and five a year ago. You lose both your coordinators. You've replaced them well. Ben Arbuckle coming over from Western Kentucky shows some very real promise and, you know, was very productive over there with with the Hilltoppers over in the Bluegrass State. Now he goes up to Pullman. He's got Cam Ward back. They've got some solid weapons. I have questions about the offensive line. I don't have questions about the defense. They did lose Day and Henley, but they've got – you know, I, I I trust Jake Dickert to build a defense there. That's all he's done since arriving at Washington State is build a good, consistent defense. So six and a half with the schedule that they've got. They've got Wisconsin coming to Pullman. They've got a rank. Wisconsin's going to be a preseason top 25 team, most likely. And they will be in Pullman week two. What a huge, huge game. That is. What a huge win that was last year for Washington State. Unfortunately for the Cougs, they weren't able to follow it up with a highly successful season, but they were solid, right? They were seven and five, lost their coordinators, got housed by Fresno State in the bowl game. One of the few correct Pac-12 prime picks I gave out last year uh, was not great. We ended the year under 500. We don't uh, we don't like that. Definitely trying to get back over 50% on uh, the Pac-12 prime picks there, but uh, not going to try and do that with Washington State's over-under win total. Six and a half, not touching it. Here's another one I'm staying away from. Arizona. Arizona at four and a half. Here's why I'm staying away from Arizona at four and a half. Jed Fish is going into year three. You've got Jaden Delora back there, a quarterback. You've got T-Mac on the outside. You've added some nice transfer players. Things have done nothing but improve in Tucson over the last couple of years since Jed Fish took over. They ended the losing streak. They won five games a year ago. They played some teams really tight, including uh, Washington State, by the way, that, you know, if they win that game, they're bowl eligible all of a sudden. They'd be a really easy pick for a bowl eligible 2023 season. The reason I'm staying away from Arizona here is is why in the world, why, why does Vegas think they're a pullback team compared to what they were a year ago? They went over their win total by two and a half, right? Their over under win total was two and a half. It was the easiest over I gave out here on the show. Like over, duh. And Oregon State was at five and a half, I think it was. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's an over right there. Both of those hit. But Arizona at four and a half, I did. I, I, it's, that's how I feel. Flabbergasted. Absolutely flabbergasted. So I'm not touching those. Now, there are three that I love. I mean, there, there are three that I look at. I'm going to save my favorite one for last because it's going to surprise you. First, UCLA, under eight and a half. Hammer it. Hammer it. I am not coming on here hating on the Bruins because this is their final year in the Pac-12, and there are many of you who would like to see them flounder uh, this year and in the Big Ten and whatnot. Not why. UCLA last year was a 9-3 and regular season football team. They also lost their bowl game to Pitt. So they were nine and four. They don't have Dorian Thompson Robinson anymore. That guy was not good. He was very good. Very, very good. And a unique athlete. And Chip Kelly's offenses have always been at their best when they've got an athletic quarterback. 
So between Colin Schley, Ethan Garbers, and Dante Moore, I don't believe, I don't know much about Schley, full disclosure, haven't really uh, dove into my my prep on him at this point in time because we don't know who's going to win the quarterback battle. We have We have no idea. But that's my point. How often do you go into spring football with an open, up to three-way quarterback battle and emerge on the other side with nine or more wins in the regular season? I don't see it. I I absolutely do not see it. Remember, these are regular season win totals, not factoring in the bowl games here. Does UCLA have a tough schedule? No. They do go at San Diego State. That's their toughest non-conference game. They could have three wins there. But you tell me they're going to go 6-3 and three against this loaded Pac-12 when they're trying to incorporate a new quarterback? I do like some of the transfers they've brought in. Maliki Matavout, tight end from Oregon. J. Michael Sturdivant, wide receiver from Cal. Cal, I mean, they've got some interesting pieces there, to be sure. But eight and a half? Eight and a half, that seems high. That seems really high to me. I would hammer UCLA under eight and a half. So that's a bet I actually like. Here's another one. And I'm sorry, Cardinal fans. It's uh, This, this is going to be a little bit painful. Stanford, under three and a half. Stanford was a three-win football team last year. They should not have beaten Arizona State. And they should not have beaten Notre Dame. Those were two of their wins. Does anyone think Stanford, a team that is not able to at this point in time utilize the transfer portal, is going to be a better football team when you have also a quarterback battle going into the spring between two guys who don't look like the quarterbacks of the future? Like This is a long rebuild for Troy Taylor at Stanford. He should be given ample time. And he has a clear offensive identity. That's what David Shaw struggled with. But Stanford, across the board, they, they are not what they used to be. They don't have, I think, an ingrained level or an existing level of talent that is sufficient to where they just need better coaching schematics to be better than a season ago. I just don't see it. So they were 3-9 and nine last year. If they're as good as they were a season ago, I think that'd be a fine year one for Troy Taylor. He might be going back and forth between two quarterbacks all year. He did that at Sacramento State, and I see no reason why he couldn't do that again. So if you know if he doesn't have one guy who clearly takes the, uh, the starting quarterback job. So I, I, I struggle to get excited about Stanford. I think they could be good in the long run if Taylor knows what he's doing and how to build – a Stanford football program in the modern era, which is certainly not an easy thing to do, but, but, but there's always a, but right. I think the PAC 12 is just too good for them this year. There's too much talent. Their non-conference schedule. They've got Notre Dame again. They like Notre Dame. That's a loss. Like, like just go, just go through their, their schedule really, really quick here. Stanford begins, begins the year week one, by the way, At Hawaii. Now, Hawaii is not a good Mountain West program. But Pac-12 schools have lost to lesser opponents than Hawaii before. But let's say they pick up that win. All right, then they go at USC week two. That's a loss. Sacramento State at home. All right, yeah, that could be a win. But Arizona, Oregon, I think you have significantly better offenses and maybe even better teams overall. I don't know about Arizona's defense this year on the other side 
in both of those games. You get them at home, but I, I don't know that you're going to have a, a ruckus home environment as Troy Taylor rebuilds this thing. Maybe you, get, you generate some buzz. Then Colorado's a winnable game, but Colorado, you got to go on the road. You got to go to Folsom Field. They're going to be packing the house for Dion. You know that. Then you play UCLA that Vegas thinks is a much better team, and I tend to agree. Then you play Washington. That's a loss. At Washington State and at Oregon State. You're not winning either of those games. They're tough places to play with good football teams. Then you play Cal. I'm going to talk about Cal here in a moment. And then you close with Notre Dame. I, I just – maybe I could see him winning four games. But if four is like their max, then, yeah, I like the under the three and a half. Okay, here's another one I like. This is a hill I'm going to die on. This is a team I am picking here in spring football until I am presented with information otherwise. I'm going to be riding them uh, to the extent that you can ride them. I am in on the California Golden Bears to go over four and a half wins. Over. Just wait. You think I'm crazy now saying Cal is going to win more games than they did a year ago when they have probably upgraded offensive coordinator, have definitely upgraded a quarterback, have rebuilt their offensive line through the portal, and brought in a couple other nice pieces offensively. And you add the urgency of Justin Wilcox being in year six, might need to get bowl eligible at least to keep his job. And guess what? I think Cal's going to do it. I really, really do. So I love Cal over four and a half wins. So the do not touch bets, Washington State six and a half, Arizona four and a half. I wouldn't touch them. But the bets I love, just at the outset here. Again, I'm not even diving into all of these. We're going to be talking about this stuff all next week. Cal over four and a half. UCLA under eight and a half. Stanford under three and a half. Those are the ones I like. Curious as to your thoughts, let me know in the YouTube comments or shoot me a note on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. This question came in via the direct messages from Alex. He said, hey, another question for the pod. What are your predictions for tiers? of Pac-12 men's basketball teams next season. Seems like multiple teams have been making noise in the offseason, Cal and USC, for instance. As a Cal fan, I've been pleasantly surprised with the coaching hires and transfers recently under Madsen. Could see Cal becoming a much-improved team next season. Thanks. So let's group this into three tiers. Top tier, teams that on their best day could win a regular season Pac-12 championship in 2023 in men's basketball tier two can contend with those teams but are not consistent enough to be able to really contend for a conference title and tier three another bad season and the coach is probably out of there let's start from the bottom and work our way up tier three i think you have oregon state i think coach tinkle had a great run to the elite eight and oregon state is just giving him some time to lessen the buyout on his contract and I don't see Oregon State as a program that is you know, currently or capable of making the sorts of moves to move them up the ladder or move them up tiers. So I think Oregon State's in the bottom. Also in the bottom tier, I've got Stanford down here. Stanford has not been very good under Jared Haas. They never have been. And they're giving him another year. And I think it's you know, a bit like Carl Durrell with with uh, Colorado football, David Shaw with Stanford football. They're going to give it another year. And when it doesn't start to go well, you might see a change made in the middle of the season. Those two definitely bottom tier teams. Now, Utah is a curious one. So is Washington State. I tend to have more faith in Washington State, but here's the problem for the Cougs. They're losing a lot. TJ Bamba is gone. 
the name of the other player who hit the portal went to USC is slipping my mind. Kyle Smith actually was uh, talking recently on the radio very openly about how he's basically saying like it's hard to coach at Washington State nowadays because they don't have as much money to throw around as other places do with NIL. So it's hard to keep guys interested in being a Cougar. And, you know, Washington State wasn't good for most of last year. They got hot at the end of the year, but now they've lost some key guys. Kind of low on the Cougs. I'd put them maybe at the top of Tier 3, but I think Washington State could be down in that particular realm. Utah's the same sort of thing. Like, they were so good, but then they fell off so hard. I would put them closer to Tier 3. Uh, than I would in in tier two. So I'll, 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 I want to split these up kind of like, you know, four, four and four. So bottom tier, I think Oregon State and Stanford are below Utah and Washington State who have got more potential. But I think those are your bottom two teams in the conference. Spencer, where's Cal? <laughs> Just you wait. All right, let's uh, move into tier two. Arizona State, kind of a prove it year for Bobby Hurley. They gave him a small contract extension. He got to the tournament. He's lost a lot of guys to the portal. We'll talk about that more with Richie Bradshaw of Locked on Sun Devils on tomorrow's show. But, uh, yeah, tough tough spot for Arizona State to be in after all the positive momentum. They had so many great moments. But with Bobby Hurley, the highs have been high, the lows have been low, but I'll give them benefit of the doubt because they made the tournament. So I'll put them in uh, Tier 2. Colorado's in there as well. Colorado has consistently been a Tier 2 program in the Pac-12. They could get to the tournament if they do well enough in their non-conference schedule, that is. But they're never really vying for a Pac-12 regular season title. And it doesn't feel like, you know, they're the sort of team that uh, has got the potential to do that. They might, though. They have this Williams kid coming in. His brother was a lottery pick, by the way. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, you know, throwing things out there. And whatnot, letting them fester. Also in tier two, Washington. Now, do I have a lot of faith in Mike Hopkins? No, not particularly. In fact, I should probably have Washington at the bottom of tier two, almost into tier three. I don't have a lot of trust in Hopkins and what he's done there at this point. However, at the end of last year, they had some moments. And he's going to be coaching with a lot of urgency at a program that I don't think is, you know, a basketball school by any means, but I think demands more urgency more than Jared Hass at Stanford. I think both those guys, along with Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State, are in prove-it years. And if you had to give me one who's going to emerge and do enough to keep his job for at least another season, I would take Hopkins at UW. I, I would take Hopkins at UW. Um, Utah also here in, uh, in, in Tier 2 along with uh, Colorado and Washington. And uh, who does that leave me to, or in Arizona State? Uh, who does that put me in? Uh, in, in t- oh, yeah, that's right. So I guess I'm not doing a perfect 4-4 split here because, uh, yeah, I kind of thought about it. Like, I was going to, but then I was like, ah, I don't know if I could really do that. Here in Tier 2 is Cal. Yes, that Cal. I'm suddenly becoming a Cal Bears fan by default, it seems. But Cal has added three players worthy of... Uh, the first one, whom you should know, is a guy by the name of Jalen Cohn, who's very small. I also was broadcasting a game in which he scored 45 points at the mid-major level in a top 12 
basketball conference in the country in the Western Athletic Conference, according to Ken Palm. Against a team that was the number two seed, by the way. Yeah, Jalen Cohn can ball. Fardaz Amac. Yeah, that's a player. Keontae Kennedy. Yeah, that's a player too who comes over from Memphis. Nine point a game score in the American. That's a good league. Yeah, suddenly Cal's kind of got some guys. Yeah, Cal's in tier two. Now, I don't know how good they'll be, but I know they won't be a tier three team. I just don't see it. I think Mark Madsen's too good of a coach, which leaves us with tier one. And I do have four teams in there. I, um, I, I guess I have four, four, and four. I guess I do have that. I just like forgot how to count. I'm trying to like stride stuff. I've got all my teams written out. Anyway, you get the point. Top tier, Arizona, UCLA, USC, Oregon. Oregon is at the bottom of tier one. Oregon is at the bottom of tier one. They are bringing in an immensely talented class, but they just keep underachieving the last couple of years under Dana Altman. Why? There are a myriad of questions, and that's a long explanation. But I think USC bringing in a lot of big-time recruits, bringing in Bronny James as well, who we talked about earlier this week on the show. I trust Mick Cronin. I trust Tommy Lloyd to contend for a conference championship. And look, Dana Altman had a down season this year. Oregon was uh the, the number four seed in in the pac 12 by the time the regular season came to a close they knocked off arizona they you know are still capable of being really good but i just don't trust them at a high level but i i think they've got a better likelihood than anybody in tier two to get back to that conference championship level so tier three i've got washington state i've got oregon state i've got stanford and oh, that's where I got my uh, my numbers a tad mixed up. I'm going to throw Utah in there because I think they could be primed for a pullback. Those are my four tier three teams. Tier two, Washington, Arizona State, Cal, Colorado, and then tier one, Oregon, Arizona, USC, and UCLA in their final campaign in the pack. Great question. Keep them coming. YouTube comments or on twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at lo underscore pack 12 back with you tomorrow appreciate everyone listening and until then have a wonderful rest of your day